morning, afternoon, night. It's Monday, and this is the Religious Studies Project. Uh, my name is Ray Radford, and I'm here with David Robertson. We're still here in Newcastle. Uh, it's Australia. I don't know which bit of Australia. The, the coast. The, su- the side. The side <laughs> bit. But that, you know, that's pretty much all of Australia. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, at the AASR conference um, with our super large contingent of RSP yeah. uh, alumni. What's the interview this week, Ray? This week is Applied Religious Studies at Georgia State University. This is uh, from Dave McConaughey talking to Molly Bassett. Um, this is something that I'm really quite fascinated to hear. Um, as I said last week, this is something that's quite dear to my heart about getting new students interested in what we do without just thinking of it as a theological concept only. Um, so, should we get to it? Let's have it. All right, take it away, Dave. Welcome. My name is David McConaughey, and today it's my pleasure to be joined by Dr. Molly Bassett, Associate Professor of Religious Studies and Chair of the Religious Studies Department at Georgia State University in Atlanta, Georgia. She's an expert on Mesoamerican religions and the author of The Fate of Earthly Things, Aztec Gods and God Bodies, as well as a recent participant in an imminent frame forum about applied religious studies. Today, we welcome her to speak about her department and some of the changes they're making and the innovation that they are developing for new degree tracks for their graduate students, as well as setting up undergraduates receiving degrees in religious studies for success in a variety of jobs outside of the academic or PhD track. Uh, Dr. Bassett, thank you so much for joining us here today. Oh, thanks so much for having me, David. So for those listeners that may not be familiar with Georgia State, can you um, describe your university to us and uh, a little bit about the context of um, your department? Who are your majors and what's the department like? Sure. So um, Georgia State is uh, located in the heart of Atlanta. If you've been to an AAR conference here, the conference happens just a block away from Georgia State. Uh, We are the 10th most diverse student body in the country. So um, our majors come from everywhere. Uh, They come from rural Georgia. They, They come from refugee communities in Clarkston. And so they bring the world's religions into the classroom in a way that I haven't seen in many other places. Um, So that makes the department a really vibrant place to think about world religions and lived religion and religion on site in Atlanta. Um, Our unit uh, grew out of a combined philosophy, religious studies department back in 2004 when we established an MA program too. Um, So we work closely with lots, lots of other departments on campus. And um, at this time, we're really focusing on applied religious studies and religious literacy. That's great. Can, can you say about, about how many faculty members and maybe about how many majors versus how many students in total kind of enroll in your courses? Can you give us a sense of the, the numbers? Sure. Um, so... We have, uh, depending on how you count us, uh, between five and seven continuing faculty members. Uh, Two of my colleagues are in administration and teach sometimes. 
Um, we're hiring this year, so we're a growing department. We have uh, about between 45 and 50 majors, typically. Um, and then uh, the number of students we serve, though, is much larger because we teach a course in the core curriculum or general education here. So we reach thousands of students through a course that's called Introduction to World Religions, but it's really a thematic survey um, so in that class, for example, just this semester, we've introduced a new module on religion and health. So the topics in that class are changing all the time. And it's a class that faculty teach and also our uh, MA students teach. That's a, a an approach that I hear a lot more departments talking about, a kind of thematic rather than tradition-based approach to world religions so that you can kind of plug and play new timely modules and really adjust it for the skills and expertise of the of the teacher. I heard that you were doing your academic program review this year, the, the dreaded <laughs> um, chance to review your curriculum. Um, is that the kind of thing you're talking about when your department is thinking about the changes you're going to make? Yeah, exactly. So we finished APR um, in the last year. And over the course of that year, so really beginning about this time last year, we did an intensive review of every aspect of the department. And a focus of APR was the curriculum. Um, so I'll, I'll talk in a little bit about our graduate program. Um, part of what we we talked about in APR was how to bring some of the success we're seeing with some of the applied courses and applied concentrations at the graduate level back into the into the major and the undergraduate curriculum. So that's part of why we incorporated this new module in 2001. Um, we're hoping uh, that students in our core course who might not think about religious studies as a potential minor or major or double major, um, say they're like a nurse, pre-nursing major right now. If we can hook them with this religion and health topic, uh, then we offer a 3000 level online course in religion and health, and then an upper level undergraduate course on medical ethics. So part of what we're trying to do is build pathways uh, through the undergraduate curriculum so that we can entice more majors into the program and help them see how religious studies can complement other fields of study, or it might become their passion. Right. So when, when you as a department think, uh, we'd like to make a new partnership with another area within the university, how, how do you come to the decision that that a new partnership is is warranted how do you how do you know that say for instance uh i teach at salem state and we have a huge nursing program and so the nursing program is is a is a major feeder for general education curriculum courses so how, how does it work in your department when you look for those kinds of partnerships that's a great question um so the first time we partnered with another unit in like an ongoing fashion uh Catherine McClyman, my colleague, was chair of the department at that time, and she and I, as grad director, were seeing our um, graduate students finish and go on to work in nonprofits. Mm -hmm. And that anecdotal uh, evidence on our part, or our observations and connections with alumni, 
was supported by data from a 2015 study the AAR did of religious studies majors. And a good percentage of undergraduate majors go on to careers in nonprofit. And so Catherine knew that our School of Policy Studies offered a graduate certificate in nonprofit management. And so we worked with our colleagues there to integrate their certificate into our MA program so that students can earn an MA in Religious Studies in the College of Arts and Sciences while also earning a certificate in nonprofit management through our concentration. So it's not, uh, prior to that, students were like sort of choose your own adventure style doing these things. But this way, the programs are integrated so that some of the nonprofit classes count toward our degree and students have a seamless program and they graduate with two credentials that are recognizable. So that decision was driven by watching our students go on and do things and us saying, oh, wait, we can help them do that. We can help them really get the skills they need to go into those careers. And then taking advantage of resources at the university to, um, you know, embed an existing credential in our program so we weren't recreating a wheel. Right. It, it takes advantages of the strengths of your university, but it also really signals to employers and companies that are looking f- to hire future Georgia State students that there's a credentialing process for this, right? That there is a, a pathway for students that, that you have designed a curriculum, you've been really intentional about it. It's not ad hoc, that it has learning outcomes. Has, has the business community, uh, the nonprofit kind of um, management segment, ha- have they really responded to the presence of a new credential right like that? It, it's, it's brand new, right? Like, I don't know that there, that there is any or, or perhaps very few uh, other universities that have a credential like that. Are you seeing good traction with um, uh, that program? Yeah, I, th- I think we are. I mean, we've had several years of, well, a few years of graduates now. Um, and part of the program is in their, you know, toward the end of their second year, toward the end of the program, they do an internship and then write a paper that uh, integrates their knowledge from both nonprofit and religious studies in some fashion, or the paper can be a project. So our first graduate, Amir Mohammed his paper was nonprofit paperwork and he established his own nonprofit. So that's like entrepreneurial success right off the bat. Right. Um, But since then, several students have found that the internship has either given them opportunities to network toward a next step or that the internship has become uh, sort of a try before you buy for the student mm-hmm. and also for the employer. So right. recently, uh, an, uh, an alum talked to me about an opportunity she has. She's continued to work with the organization since she graduated, and she's done some other uh, work too, including some teaching. And the the director of the nonprofit is leaving, and the director approached her to to step into that position. And um, I think that it's, you know, stories like that, it's not just that she had the training she need, needed or the credentialing that she needed, but that she had the opportunity to see, is this a good fit for me and for, you know, the, the 
the other people at the nonprofit to get to know her. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think it's working out and it's working well. Um, and students have a lot of flexibility in the program either to do their own thing or to find a place in the nonprofit world here in the Atlanta area to continue the work that they started with us. That kind of a- applied religious studies approach seems to me so obvious now, but we we haven't really done or thought about things really in that direction in American religious studies for a long time. In the business world, you would never complete a four-year business degree without doing a variety of internships, right? But we so often uh, in religious studies have not taken advantage of of helping our students with the business networking that they really need in order to be employed once they have the degree. And this fills such a need uh, mm-hmm. to, to, to justify, especially to administrators who always want to say to parents and potential students and graduating students, here is the job that our university and this major got this student, right? Like they want to take that and draw a direct line between, you know, their university and the the great job that the student has got. And and now within your your nonprofit thing, that is I can really see that connection, right? You you have the stories to back up uh, the perception that that um uh though that networking really does matter a lot. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I feel like the the program's also attracting um students who have had careers or have been working for a while and they see they've identified a real world problem. So I feel like this is, this is the golden opportunity of applied religious studies to identify a real world problem and then take the skills that they learn in our program and in nonprofit management or uh, we have another concentration, a new one in religion and aging. So to take the skills that they learn from our colleagues in the Gerontology Institute and apply those to the problem with the subject area expertise of religious studies. Um, so recently, another another student in our nonprofit management concentration, Lavala Wilson, had a PhD. She had a career in um, resident services at universities. And she moved to Atlanta to uh, do our program because she had recognized a need. And the need was um, homeless youth have trouble getting into colleges or community colleges or even getting high school credentials um, because they don't have a physical address. They don't have a residence. Right. And so starting from that, that observation, uh, Lavala went through our program and her internship was developing a website and an app that connects homeless youth in the Atlanta area with existing resources that can help them get into school. Um, So to see that, uh, to see someone, you know, who's been working for a long time, identify a problem and then identify our program as the place that she can build the solution to the problem um, I think it I think it shows how a religious studies department is vital um, in more than one way. Absolutely. 
can you you raised your religion and aging uh, program? Can you can you speak a little bit more about that new program? Sure. Um, so the religion and aging program is modeled on the nonprofit program. So it's it's another concentration that's available to our MA students, and we developed it uh, in part in response to or in connection with a community partnership we have with Wellstar Health Systems. So Wellstar Health Systems is a big hospital group in Atlanta. They employ 24,000 people. They have a bunch of hospitals, assisted living centers, hospices, you name it. And one of our alumni, Jason Lissandrini, is their chief ethicist. Um, So Jason has been working with us for a long time, and we've established a graduate fellowship. So each year we award one fellowship to an incoming master's student who's interested in religion and health professions or religion and ethics and medicine. And as I watched those students go through the program, many of them were doing the nonprofit concentration, but it didn't seem like the best fit for the research they were conducting or the careers they wanted to pursue. Um, So we started talking with people in the college and um, with people in gerontology and felt like opening a concentration in religion and aging would be a great opportunity for our Wellstar fellows. Um, But it also is a great opportunity because of the growing number of aging people in our city and our country. Um, And in Atlanta, it's such a diverse and global city that for students to understand cultural diversity and to be uh, literate with respect to religions, and then also um, understand the aging process and have a sense of um, what gerontologists can do professionally, it seemed like a, a, a good and strong partnership moving forward. Yeah, I was looking at the the certificate requirements, and and I was seeing all of the courses that come from uh, the gerontological side of things. You have aging policy and the sociology of aging and communication in aging, but then on the religious studies side, you have death and the afterlife, or psychology and religion, or religious dimensions of the human experience, and you're really providing them a second language to speak about aging and and to really frame that diversity what kinds of things have you heard back from from the students that are that are in the program whose only kind of connection prior to that moment was uh I'm in the same school with within Georgia State that houses both departments but I'm not in both departments until I was in the program that kind of um n- new new students to your department let's say Yeah, so we have two students in the program. It opened officially just in August. Um, Mm -hmm. So the feedback is preliminary, but it's good. Brand brand new and shiny. (laughs) Very shiny. Um, But I can say I I taught a grad seminar last fall, and students in that seminar partnered with another of our uh, community partners, um, Compassion House for Living and Dying. It's a non-medicalized hospice that's been uh, one of the co-founders is an alum of our program, Justin Howe. And we worked with them to build an online orientation for uh, their volunteers, the death doulas that work at the hospice, so that they have a better sense of how to approach 
um, guests from a variety, guests from a variety of religious backgrounds. Um, and so I feel like that, that gave the students in the course and me a lot of insight into, um, or more insight at least into end of life care and, uh, what people of different faiths might expect in terms of end of life care or, uh, resist and also how we can, again, sort of like solve a real world problem by bringing our subject expertise around death and Islam, say, to an organization that wants to serve Muslim guests. Um, right. So, and end of life care is just, you know, a tiny piece of what uh, students in the concentration can study. Um, but yeah, that's one example of the work. And then we had uh, our colleagues from gerontology came and presented in the department a few weeks ago. And so we got to hear about some of the um, NIH funded work they're doing in um, long-term care facilities around what are meaningful encounters for people with different forms of dementia. And, mm. you know, it was really fascinating to talk with them about what is, like, how do you define meaningful engagement or a meaningful encounter and what goes into meaning making? And I feel like that is, you know, something that a lot of students drawn to the study of religions can, re there's a lot right. of traction there for us too. Yeah. So um, it's just getting started and I'm really um, excited to see where this partnership goes to. I mean, for, for us as faculty, as well as for the students. I'm, I'm really intrigued by the idea that part of the goal of, of including students with them within these programs for nonprofit and then for, for aging is that, that the critical approaches that religious studies has are applied approaches, right? That there is a way to translate and, and move rather immediately from the kind of critical tools of studying discourse and using comparison and being religiously literate about the diversity that exists in a community and understanding all of those elements. But then turning that around the corner and saying, and then now do we, what do we do with that? Right. Mm -hmm. I, I think, I think so often when, when we have discussions about religious studies, there's, there's a, there's a dividing line that some have, have put between a kind of critical perspective and then maybe a more softer, older literacy approach that simply talks about content. And this is a different kind of conversation to me that I, that I think that your programs are identifying that there's a new, there's a, you know, a third, there's a third way that we can think about it. Yeah. And I feel like I just have so much to learn still um, mm. about what it means to negotiate the, the sort of two, conversations that you identified like the critical approach and then you know we need to cover the content and understand diversity and be literate um and then how to how to bring both of those to bear on applied projects um yeah i think there i i have a lot of questions <laughs> <laughs> Do, what, 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 they they what, come what, up all the time. They, well, great. Well, great. We love questions. What, what, yeah. <laughs> Go. Do, do you, you know when when you have when you have a student that that's let's say they, they are in in a program like the nonprofit um, uh, certificate program, 
and they and they have a personal faith right that is mm-hmm. that is potentially motivating them towards a particular line of nonprofit work and and then you you as a religious studies an academic uh oriented view of religious studies you're providing them critical tools right that that dialogue right there is an intersectional space where you're providing critical tools, but they may have their own critical approaches, right? And I can imagine how many questions kind of arise, both on the curricular side, but also simply just negotiating a classroom where you mm-hmm. have someone that has a really clear sense of their own personal uh, employment goals and their own personal religious goals. Like if you, you know, take uh, charitable, compassionate work as part of your core religious values. How do we translate those into the critical terms of religious studies? Is, is, is that is that where those questions really arise from? Yeah, that's definitely one space the questions arise in. And I mean, you know, we do some of the typical things. We talk about bracketing, mm-hmm. and we talk about you know identifying bias and being self aware and. Um, we also then talk about like, are those, are those approaches really working out in the classroom or outside the classroom? Um, but then the questions also arise in terms of like understanding the, the audience for the applied project and thinking about what's appropriate given that audience Um, So one of the things we're trying to do now is bring the applied approach back into the major. And this Mm. semester I'm teaching um, one of the required courses in our major. It used to be called the survey class. um, And now it's traditions of world religions. Um, So in addition to doing the like, we started in, in my version of the class with Native American traditions and then we, you know, turn through the big five. Um, I, I am bookending the course in conversations about religion and public education, because while we're doing the, the work of learning the content, students are working in small groups to create some instructional support materials for mm-hmm. teachers at a local public school. Oh, that's a fascinating project. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's in process. It's in process. It is fascinating, and um, it's it's also uh, sometimes anxiety producing. <laughs> um, I, I can. Is this the, is this the first time that, you, yes. that you're doing that kind of project? <laughs> yeah, you know the the terror and joy of a of a new big a group project. Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So this the school is my daughter's elementary school. So um, yeah, and and I. I told the students at the beginning of the semester, um, my daughter came home at the, at the winter break in kindergarten singing dreidel dreidel, which is <laughs> just fine until you've heard it 800 million times. And I thought, you know, it's interesting to me that she learned this in kindergarten at our neighborhood school. Um, right. And I wonder what else she's learned. So I started talking to the teachers and they're, um, they're a, adopting a new IB curriculum for the school. So international baccalaureate, Mm. and that's an inquiry based learning system, which is fantastic. Uh, So I am working with IB coordinator. And at the end of this semester, we'll hand over a bunch of support materials that my students have created to help the kindergarten teachers 
be more literate with respect to religions. I mean, that they themselves identify this as a growing edge for them and welcomed, right. you know, our partnership. So I'm excited to see what comes of it. But we're all going there in December during our final exam period. We're meeting at the school to meet the kindergartners and read books to them. So um, I, I keep focusing on that while we're ironing out the problems of you know, the actual assignment and figuring out right. how, to, how to get the work done. But, but holding the feet to the fire like that, right? There are actual kindergartners out there and your students are going to go to them. Like that, in, that level of incentive is the level of incentive all, all teachers hope for, right? To push, to be compelled to do the work for really valuable reasons, right? There are children that have things that they could learn about religion. I can do that work in this class. I mean, that's, that's a win-win from, from my perspective. Man, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like that's, that's, that's the picture I have. Right. And I mean, the kids in the Atlanta public school system are in our neighborhood, you know, so Mm -hmm. when we talk about community partnerships, they are they are our community and it's a really diverse, both Georgia state and, that elementary school are majority minority schools. So, you know, the big kids are going to see the little kids and the little kids are going to see the big kids. And of course, many of my students are not kids, but, um, and I feel like the kindergartners might see too that like, Oh, one day I could be a Georgia state Panther. I don't know. Maybe that's pushing it, but um, there's a, yeah, I think there's a lot, there are a lot of uh, good reasons to be, giving this a go and seeing how it works out. And, you know, we've worked through the AARS guidelines for teaching religion in public Mm -hmm. schools. And we had a forum on that in the department yesterday. So at the same time, we're churning through the questions of like, well, what about teachers who, you know, like you were just saying, who have religious perspectives, how can we help them negotiate teaching religion when it's not appropriate to indoctrinate or, you know, call on their own personal faith system to explain what's happening in a book about John Lewis's upbringing or whatever it is. Um, Yeah. So like I said, there are lots of questions. (laughs) So as we, as we wrap up, I think the, the one thing that I'd like to offer to, to all the the listeners of the podcast is um, if there are people that are really interested in this kind of new model of applied religious studies where you're making greater partnerships with some of the other departments in the university to lend a bit of professionalization um, to things, what would you recommend that they start with? Should they kind of take a peek at at their at the, the, the students that are there in class, is this, I got to walk down the hall and talk with uh, the other department first. What's a first step that, that you might recommend to get someone rolling down this path? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I feel like we, uh, we lucked out because we had, you know, we have some alumni who are really invested in our program And then I have just some remarkable colleagues who have a lot of energy around um, ideas like this. And then it also happened that what we're doing aligns with our colleges and universities' strategic plans. And some of that's intentional and some of it is a bit of the luck of the draw. Um, So I feel like it probably depends on 
what the what your institutional context is and um, who the potential partners could be either within the university or in the community. Um, but I think, you know, I, there's all, the AAR is also a resource. There are going to be a bunch of sessions about applied religious studies um, at this year's meeting. And I think that would be a place to meet more people who are doing similar things. I think um, UCSB is now partnering with the art museum in Santa Barbara Mm-hmm. Um, folks at, uh, Missouri state, I think it is just started a certificate in medical humanities in the undergraduate program. And I know that you have plans to talk to other folks who are doing things like this. So absolutely. Yeah. I think there are lots of models out there. There's probably not, uh, a bad way to go about it. Right. But, but the, but the, but the central point of the advice as far as, as what I'm hearing is every university has a context. And so if you're in a religious studies department and you want to make those kind of connections to your university's network, we really have to take a step back and think about who the students are that are coming to the university and where they go when they leave the university and the relationship between the university and the community that it exists in to really identify all of those networks that already exist, right? We're just mm-hmm. not, we're just not tapping into them. Um, as well as we could. Is that, is, is that, is that what? Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. And um, I think, you know, just sort of being open to opportunities as they come along too. I mean, I wouldn't have thought to make this connection with an elementary school until my kid brought home something that for me was like, huh? <laughs> hmm. Uh, so yeah, I think um, when, once, once, I feel like once you get started thinking about how can we take our subject area expertise and the skills that we develop in the study of religions and use those to improve things for folks outside the academy, um, once you start thinking in that way, then you see all kinds of all kinds of ways to work with people in other professions and other academic departments too. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for for joining me here today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thanks so much to Dave and Molly. Um, This is the last regular introduction we'll be recording this year. Um, Feels odd to be doing it in broad sunshine, (laughs) but not unpleasant, because uh, next week's episode is our famous Christmas special. Uh, one of my favorite times of the year when these things come out. At some point, I'm going to have to be in the Northern Hemisphere when these are done. Absolutely. Uh. Well, we are considering next year's being recorded at the IHR, which oh. is in your neck of the woods. Oh, I'll be there. So maybe we can rope you into to <laughs> helping make that happen. I think Chris done. is going to be there as well. Bree oh, will be there. Yeah. So let's let's make that happen. We recorded. Our 2015 special at the IEHR in, in Erfurt, mm-hmm. in Germany. So it would be fitting, I think, to do it. I think so. It was, this only happens every five years. So Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. This year, however, our Christmas special was recorded at the BASR, as it often is. Um, I was actually a contestant this year, um, but it was ably chaired by Chris Cotter. And this time we've returned to... Only 60 Seconds, which was our, I think, the first one we ever recorded way back in 2012. 
Um, and the contestants this year are myself, uh, Bettina Schmidt, the president of the BASR, and uh, Theo Wildcroft, who's recorded for the RSP a number of times, and is uh, my colleague at the Open University. So it's Excellent. a great pleasure to include all of them. Um, Thanks for listening the entire year. Again, it's been a fantastic year. Been a very big and wonderful year. Yeah, Bree and oh. Dave have been doing an amazing job. Bang up, yeah. Um, so it's it's coincidental that I get to to wrap up the year, <laughs> but I'm very pleased to be able to do so. But um, Ray, why don't you take us out? Well, as always, thanks for listening. The Religious Studies Project is sponsored by the British Association for the Study of Religions, the North American Association for the Study of Religion, and the International Association for the History of Religions. The Religious Studies Project is produced by the Religious Studies Project Association, SCIO, a Scottish charitable incorporated organisation charity number, SC047750. Brought to you by editors Brianne Fallon and David McConaughey, and founding editors Chris Cotter, that's me, and David Robertson, that's him. Our features are edited by Rebecca Barrett-Fox with marketing managed by Benjamin Marcus. Our Opportunities Digest managed by Ella Buck, podcast transcription by Helen Bradstock, and social media managed by Ray Radford. Don't forget, you can support the project by using our Amazon.com, .co.uk and .ca links or donating at patreon.com backslash projectrs. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes and other portals. Thanks for listening.